I, I'm going to just sort of bring the uh, wonderful program today to a close. This title is a bit cryptic, Future Tense, Future Perfect. We are living in a pretty dramatic time education-wise. There are complexities of the way ahead. There are things that we don't know, things that we don't understand. And as I look at the school library landscape, you know, questions that have even surfaced today, do we even need a school library? You know, it creates a certain uh, intellectual and, and, and emotional tension in our lives. And, you know, I am a firm believer in school libraries. Um, we, we are confronted in the digital landscape, in, in our study of children, in where big questions about where education is going. And so this notion of, of, of the future kids does create all sorts of uncertainties for us. I don't have the perfect solution, but I want to try and bring together some of my own thinking, some of the ideas that have come out from uh, the conference today. And I just want to thank you, each of you. You are in a noble profession. You are. It's complex, it's challenging, it is future tense. But I want you to understand and value the contributions that each of you make. You know, the French playwright, uh, Edmond Rostand, uh, you know, the, the wonderful play, I don't know whether you've read it, Serrano de Bergerac. Serrano was a French militant and activist and, and somewhat of a philosopher. It's a, he was a real person, apparently, and Antoine Contiguiche says to him, windmills, remember, if you fight with them, may swing round their huge arms and cast you down in the mire. Serrano de Bergerac answers, or they may take you up amongst the stars. And, and it's such a joy for me to be back here with love, and I am amongst stars. And I want you to think about where you are and the gifts that you have. You know, I wouldn't even be here today if a school principal in the late 1970s cast me from the mud and had a different kind of vision. He called me into his office at the end of the school year and he said to me, Ross, he was giving out all of the teaching assignments and I've been in the school for many years teaching history and geography. A little bit of French thrown in. And he looked at me and he said, Ross, next year, I want you to take charge of the school library. And I had a torturous weekend. <laughs> and I thought of every possible reason that would get me out of becoming a school librarian. And you know, I had the perfect answer. I went into him on Monday morning. He was a, a wonderful school principal. I loved him dearly. And I looked at him and said, Ernie, I can't do this. I don't know anything about running a school library. And I do believe that there are lots of professional 
programs, graduate degrees that one needs to have to be a school librarian. And you know what he said to me? He cast me from that mire of my own uncertainty. And he looked at me and he said, Ross, we'll pay for you to get your graduate. Here I am, folks. What an interesting chair. I wouldn't be here if he didn't pull me up like a windmill and put me up there. And so here I am with you amongst the stars. You know, as I look back over today, I love kids. Don't you love kids? I love their creativity. I love their insight. And I think this kid is ever so smart. If we don't teach our kids inquiry, we've lost it. To question, to wonder, to discover, to create, to be the creators of ideas, to build connections. And that's, thank you, Julie, for that wonderful work that you're doing in helping us position ourselves, even digitally, in a global environment. The notion of agency, which I talked about this morning, collaboration, innovation, and of course one of the fundamental goals of our school is we want our kids to be creators and thinkers, producers of knowledge. And I think these, to me, are some of the really wonderful terms that have come through today. So thank you very much because you've affirmed for yourselves what your future is. And I think very much that they are built around these parts. As I showed you this morning, it is about trying to piece together various complex parts. It's not a straightforward journey. It's not a straightforward, you know, it's complex problems solving. And one of the things that I really have loved about today is people are pushing boundaries, taking us out of our four walls of boundaries in our minds, looking at the opportunities, looking at the research, and that's thinking outside of the box. I do want to draw on some ideas, and these are kinds of some of the things that I briefly want to talk about as we move forward. You know, what is the journey ahead? And one of the, some of the challenges that I want to put to you is building an evidential warrant for what we do. This morning I presented a bunch of research that's kind of probably a little bit different to what we've heard and to what we think. Julie has presented a rich body of research for moving forward. And I think building our practice on our evidence, and there is a, is a really important, compelling direction for each of us as school librarians that we build the local evidence, this whole arena of evidence-based practice. 
is one that I've invested much of my academic career in. You know, practising what we preach and demonstrating the power of our practice through evidence. I also briefly want to comment on some of these where I've... I love the word mindset. I just think changing or reshaping our mindset has been a, a really compelling thread throughout the day. And here's one of the things that I, I'll just talk about briefly as I, I chart some directions ahead. We use the word, the term library. The library, our library, my library, the library is the library does. And I just want us to think a little bit differently. In our, in our mindset, libraries are not the subject. I'm going to pull that one out in a little bit more detail in a minute. But what is the subject of who we are and what we do and why we do it? It's human agency. It's the development of our children. It's the empowering of our children. It's enabling their outcomes. Libraries is the object. Students and student outcomes should be the subject of our sentence. And I'll illustrate that a little bit in a minute. One of the other directions that I want to talk about very briefly is we talk a lot, and I've been thinking of you, Susan, going ahead with your radio talk next week. No. You know. And, and one of my challenges is... You know, and I've been involved in this discourse. I've been involved in the research. You know, school libraries impact student achievements. And, you know, I've done several large studies in Ohio, in Delaware, and New Jersey, where we focus on the, the relationship between school libraries and student achievement. And, and I begin to think, and as I listen to what's going on, I'm going to illustrate that. Maybe it's not just an achievement framework, because we are, after all, in education, and student attainment and student outcomes and student achievements are vitally important. But what is the value-added gift of the library? It's about life outcomes. And I'm going to talk a little bit briefly as we go through about moving from, but also including an achievement framework to a life outcome framework because that's where we add value to the library. And again, this moving from a tell them framework to a show them. I, as you know, when I think back on my life, this whole notion of evidence-based practice and school librarianship. How many papers have I written on that? You know? And, and probably in, some, in recent education, some of you have even been forced to read them. You know? um, but one of the critical dimensions, and this is a tell-them framework. What is the evidence that I have that my libraries add value to the life of these students. It's not just the learning outcomes and student achievement, but it's the life value. And, and how do we 
build those evidence structures in our schools. And, and one of the challenges that I constantly put forward to you, this notion of evidence and demonstrating the value through evidence of what we do is of critical importance. You know, we're constantly, even more than ever, being sucked into a, a data vortex. Oh, yes. Aren't we? Data is confronting our, our schools at every level. You know, in, even in our, in, in our uh, library information education programs, our master's degree at Rutgers, we now have a special, a complete concentration in data science. How do our library communities, you know, engage with data our schools are, are sucked into this vortex of data. And, and how do we somehow engage with that? One of our school library students at Rutgers came to me and said, you know, I want to do, uh, that I can do some electives. And she came to me and she said, I'd like to have permission to do an elective in data curation second elective in data analytics. And I said to her out of curiosity, why would you go into the school library, be interested in subjects in data curation and data analytics? Because she's already a practicing teacher in the school. She said we are just confronted by vast amounts of data in our school. And as the library information specialist, I want to take a leadership role. And I thought, you are such a visionary in terms of where you see the school library community going. You know, sometimes, and this is what I think is an endemic problem in our, in our profession. We, we draw on evidence when our, our jobs are threatened. We call on all the international research studies to, to save our jobs. You know, and I, I see this in New Jersey, where I live. I've had school librarians call on me and say, Ross, they're going to threat, they're going to cut my job. There's a school board meeting on next week. Would you come and testify? And I, you know, Sometimes I do say no. Because I say to that school library, show me your portfolio of local evidence. And there's none there. And I just think, I don't have a chance here. How do we demonstrate the power of who we are? We, we've kind of got to move beyond this notion of implied evidence. This is what I do. And here's an example from one of our research studies. A teacher librarian can make a great difference to student learning, especially if they develop relevant online resources to support students based on the specific needs and abilities of their own community of students. That actually says nothing. It says what you do. And, and, and the challenge, I think, even more as we think about the future, and the data-driven future, we are going to be called on, whether we like it or not, to demonstrate 
with data, the evidence, the contribution of what we do. And we can easily become the victim in all of this. You know, we can find it disempowering. We can be thrust amongst the mud. But how do we rise above that? You know, if we take on a victim mentality, we're accepting solutions handed down by others. That's one part of where I see the future going, this data-driven. I, I don't know whether I like it or not, but it is, as I look at the professional landscape, it is a strong and emerging part, and I think being part of the rich contribution of data on what we enable is so critical. This notion, you know, I, I want to just pull up briefly on, the, this is a huge advocacy slogan across the US. And I hate it. Why? Because libraries is the subject. This has gone around and I've, I've tackled the American Library Association of this. Libraries don't transform. They're collections of stuff, bricks and mortar, plastic paper. What transforms you? You are the subject. Libraries in and of themselves don't transform. It's the engaging, insightful, leadership, instructional leadership, resource leadership of you that does the transforming. I know that's a very subtle play on words, but I just don't buy this whole argument sweeping across. You know, here's another one. This is the um, uh, another similar slogan, and I just don't want you to get caught up with it. Libraries transforming communities. What's the subject of the sentence? It should be communities. Communities are transformed. Student learning is enabled by this aspect of student, student empowerment. We've got to come back to making the students, the outcomes, the communities as the subject of our students. We're sort of caught up in this source, selfie, egocentric notion of libraries. I go to any school library websites and I see our school library will, our school library does, our school library provides, our school library, it's you know, when we're so selfie-oriented, you know, talk it. I, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to go back to your school library websites, go to your vision statements, and put them in terms of students, student opportunities, student learning outcomes. Rethink the narrative and put the narrative communities transformed by. You know, even when we did the Ohio School Library Study. You know, almost 15 years ago, student learning through Ohio School Libraries. It's a, a subtle rethinking of what the subject is. And I want us to get outside of our library bubble 
and think about our messaging, think about our advocacy, and think about how we frame student achievement. And I want to say, outcomes are the subject, not libraries. Even in my own research, framing student outcomes, here's some examples of quite complex statements about student learning outcome. We could say the school librarian taught some lessons on website evaluation. That's what you do. But we can frame it from a student perspective and say 93% of the students show mastery of strategies for evaluating websites for misinformation and bias following the library's program of do you see where I'm coming from? I'm asking you to rethink what is your focus and step outside of the library bubble and put yourself in an outcome focus. You'll get this. But this brings me to an even more important thing. How many faces can you see there? I can't count, I love that. <laughs> That's a nice pop out. <laughs> okay, all right, you play with that later, but there should be, there actually should be 13. All right, but what I'm saying to you, as we think about libraries, and I, I hear this discourse, we don't need libraries, Everything's digital. Even if you follow the data, you know, books as we know them traditionally are alive and well. And I've predicted for years that they're not going away. And if we look at the data on e-book use and the production of books, we're actually on an increase. You know, and, and I think we've got to celebrate the diversity of access. There was a celebrated case several years ago in Massachusetts where the school principal of a private school got an enormous amount of media attention, closed the library, set up rows of sterile laptops, everything was digital. Now, you know, last year they rehired a school librarian. It was a total failure. And, and it was a failure for a number of reasons. And I come back, I know this is kind of big and esoteric, but the notion of our school library as a cradle of civilization and democratic society. I'm a humanist, and I come right back to the empowering of the individual. I come right back to core values around a civilised society, to democracy. And I deeply believe more than ever, more than ever when I see the swirl of events around us. And of course, the, the most awful event in recent days, the, the tragedy of Christchurch. This notion as the school library is a, a birthplace of a civil society. The breeding ground for ideas generation, 
Certainly I'm not disputing the need for libraries to engage in disruption. We want to disrupt ideas. We want to disrupt even, you know, ideas that are so firmly in our mind we don't even want to think, think about them. But I deeply believe that giving our kids access, deep access, to the diversity of ideas is a foundation for critical thinking, argument, debate, and so on. And indeed, as I look at the world events swirling around us, an aversion to dogmatism, and you know, I think that the, the traumatic experiences in uh, Christchurch, the notion of prevalent dogmatic views about people, about cultures. So our schools as, our school libraries as ideas and thinking networks, and building on some of the, the themes that have come through today, our school libraries as opportunities for social, collaborative, and global learning. And I deeply, deeply believe in the sense of place. That they, that, and I believe in the physicality of place. And nothing will take me away that this is just online. That sense of the sense of the intellectual center of a school as a physical place. It becomes the mechanism for social, collaborative, and global learning. Global, local, formal, informal, unofficial, unscheduled. This notion of our school library as the grounds for social and cultural networks. And again, this notion of community, learning without borders. We've had such rich input on this today. The global collaboration, removing obstacles, seeding. There is something about presence that I'm deeply wedded to. Look at this picture. What do you see? I took it. I was in Paris on Bastille's Day the national celebration. And this is not the Arc de Triomphe, it is the other arc, the, the carousel, which is in front of the Louvre. And we were standing there as the flyover took place. What do you notice about that picture? There's a bit of digital literacy in operation here. The national pride. The national pride. You see the past Thank you. Thank you, Camilla. Look at this. I wonder what was going on in this guy's mind. You know, we've got the, the trinketer, the French red, white, and blue. And here he is, he must have pressed the wrong paint button. And it's over. But he got red. And I just want to know one of the critical questions what went on here? Why did this happen? This is such a fabulous notion for inquiry, for wonder, for questioning. And that's what I think our school library should be all about. But I love this one. And it, it, you know, there was a huge trail of media commentary on this particular picture. You know, Grace Ann de Candido is one of our 
uh, adjunct professors at Rutgers. She's a wonderful uh, children's literature expert. And she put out this provocative idea. I'm going to put it to you. If librarianship is the connecting of people to ideas, and I believe that's the truest definition of what we do, it is crucial to remember that we must keep and make available not just good ideas and noble ideas, but bad ideas, silly ideas, and yes, even dangerous or wicked ideas. Now, you go and sleep on that one tonight. <laughs> Think about what your mindset is. It's a challenging and provocative statement. Think about what is a library and what is your role in this, in this professional enterprise that we're in. But one of the things that I just want to talk to you as we talk about new directions, one of the hallmarks of school libraries has been our contribution to student achievement. And I think that we have to provide both the local school-based evidence meshed with the, the national and global evidence on the impact of school libraries on student achievement I think that's a really critical voice, and it's the voice of the students talking about what has been enabled by the students. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to the kind of turbulent events that have been going on in our world over the last couple of years. You know, of course, Christchurch is one of them. I think of life in the US and at times it's not a pretty life. And I think, how do we position our libraries? Some of you, this may not have even been on your consciousness, but in Ferguson in Missouri, 2014, there were some of the most violent, horrific race riots in all of America was horrible and it was it was prejudice based and it was it was tackling the black community and right in the heart of the city where this was here was a young librarian look a kid out of school he just got his library degree and been sent to what he thought was this placid community town of Ferguson in Missouri. Scott Bonner. In the midst of all of this rioting, he kept his town library open. And I thought, what a brave young man. And this was the sign on his door. During difficult times, the library is a quiet oasis where we can catch our breath, learn and think about what to do next. Please help keep our, our, our oasis peaceful and serene. We invite Scott to come and talk to our students. We have a, a colloquium every month for our graduate students where we bring leaders of the profession and outside of the profession. Scott came and he was just pure magic. 
as he talked about what was driving him, his values, his sense of community, his sense of searching for goodwill, his sense of social justice. And it was just such a wonderful, powerful time. And it's caused me to think a great deal. And you've seen this, of course, many of these images of this kind in relation to uh, Christchurch in New Zealand. And, you know, I was in Christchurch in January this year, and here's a city that is still struggling from the devastating earthquakes. There was still wreckage, earthquake wreckage around, and now this. And it has made me think a lot about what's the discourse of our libraries? We have to be bigger and adding value beyond school libraries. You know, what is our role, for example, in fostering civil discourse, in, fo in fostering informed discourse, in opening up our eyes about human rights issues, in the development of human agency, as we talked about, this morning, libraries as centre for social justice and the development of civic responsibility. Through, it comes through open access. It comes through equity of access to resources and technology. It comes through us as leaders thinking about how we respond to diversity, how our collections show diversity, how we as, as professionals encompass diversity and how we build community. And I, I kind of think that here's an agenda for evidence. How are, and this is hard, I don't know the answers. I'm just painting a journey that I think is going to happen. How do we contribute and demonstrate our gift? A, a school library is such an incredible gift and how do we dis demonstrate that gift, not just in terms of student achievement, but in terms of a much broader social agenda? And this notion, I think there's going to be a lot of, and, and there already is a sort of discourse emerging around our role in community building and our role in terms of our commitment to the social good, that social justice Agenda, And this is where I think one of the interesting developments is going to take place. You know, and so if we think about our school library action, remember uh, Susan said, talk about the journey ahead, and here we go. I think building a visible agenda and evidence of social, cultural diversity, access, justice and well-being. So that asks us to think about what our school libraries are as a diverse, and eco, a diverse information ecosystem, as a knowledge ecosystem where we give our kids opportunity to explore diverse and complex and confronting topics. Our libraries as a wisdom ecosystem where we give that help, where we develop trust. That's the missing piece in, in, one of the, in the agenda that I talked about this morning. 
And indeed, this notion of our libraries as a safe ecosystem, I thank Scott Bonner for his work. But how this question of safety, and certainly in our research, the value of the library as a safe ecosystem where I can come and explore anything I want, questions about my own identity, sexuality, whatever. I can do this in anonymity and in privacy, and I can learn without any kind of threat. And Julia, I've picked up on your words today because I think they have an even richer and broader application, the notion of connection, openness, autonomy and innovation. And I think these are some of the kinds of words that will guide us. So coming in, and I'm coming to a kind of conclusion. Yeah. You know, I loved people talking today about courage. And I think, when I think about what's swirling and certainly this whole fake news movement in the US, the diminishing of scientific insight, the rejection of evidence. You know, we have, it, it's calling on us as librarians to have that professional, intellectual and social courage to live our values to live our ethics and to showcase and have the courage to practice them. You know, that, I, I, I just think that is so critical to the way we think about libraries in the future. In ourselves, the challenge is, you know, I didn't do so good today, we get pessimistic, and I hear stories of school librarian pessimism all the way along. But we have to think, okay, today wasn't a good day. Okay, okay, it's going to be better tomorrow. And that means for each of us to have the three C's, the critical constructive capacity for us to reflect and to think about what are the steps we need to move forward. And this is really... You know, we've had such lovely discussions today about leadership. And when I think about leadership, I think about encouraging and nurturing one another, our students, our colleagues. That's what leadership is. That's putting individual and collective well-being as the central mindset. And here's another little thing. You know, sustainability. Can school libraries sustain themselves? And I look at educational sustainability. It is built on a common language, on conversation, on formative feedback. And you know what? I'm a bit critical in my old age, folks. I am chronologically enriched. But, you know, we've got to move beyond the bibliobabble of librarianship. We develop this cult of our own in-house language. And a good example is information literacy, whatever that means. You know, I've been involved in that for 20 years. But we've got to, we've got to work to build a common language uh, in our schools. Uh, I see that as, as an important element. You know, as, as I come to conclusion, the ultimate, in my view, the ultimate obscenity is not caring. 
oh, I'm too old, I don't need to worry about this. That's, to me, an obscene mode of thinking. You know, this is how I've always done it, or it can never happen in my school. Where are you, Lauren? Lauren, that was fabulous. I had to just write you in. I just love this. Gentle pressure, relentless. I think I got it right, did I? Relentlessly apply. You know, that's moving from the obscene to action. Thank you, Lauren. I just, I'm going to quote that along the way. You know, we, we do have to work within a context, the standards, the school context, the school ethos. But if we don't act now, tomorrow may be too late in the lives of our children. Too late is forever in the life of a child. Think about that. You know, and one of the things that I would say, you look after yourselves, folks. I see a committed, devoted, professional group but take the time to nurture you. Look after yourselves, folks. Find your space to take the time to reflect, to refresh, to reshape and direct. You know, for me, I have a study in my home. I have this kind of house, that, uh, condominium, that has floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall glass along the west. You might think that's very, very hot. But I, in my study on the sixth floor, I look out to spectacular sunsets almost every day. That's Ross Todd in his twilight zone. I'll give up a <laughs> to go to my study to look at the changing earth because it is... The, it is for me that twilight zone, its transition, its colour, its inspiration. Find your space, find your location. Look at this. Is that a doctored image? <laughs> Was that paid by Apple Inc? <laughs> I actually took that photograph. And I can assure you it's not doctored. It was taken in the twilight zone. If any of you have been there and seen the labels on the ferries, little, little boats, where is it? I had the wonderful privilege um, during August last year, during our summer in the US, to go to the island of Zanzibar. You know, it has a, I mean, incredibly horrendous history because it was the, the black slave market where thousands of slaves were bought and sold and transshipped to all around the world. But it was the twilight zone for me. I'm sitting on the water and the sun was setting and with my little tiny Nikon camera, that's what I took its light an apple coming out of the sky, isn't it? I kid you not, Apple Inc. didn't pay me to take that photograph or document. But it was just so beautiful. Find your twilight zone and go for it. You know, 
So to bring it all together, leadership to me is about fostering human agency. That's why we're in our roles and well-being in the context of developing the information to knowledge capacity. It's about fostering our vision beyond student achievement to, beyond, to a life achievement, to enactment of the social good, because we need it now more than ever. And it certainly is a duty of care for each other. I'll finish. One of the great joys of living on the East Coast, I live in a university town, New Brunswick, New Jersey. It's 45 minutes out of Manhattan. And I just love the whole cultural dimension of, of New York City. And I've just been totally enamored by the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. Alvin Ailey, you know, some 30 years ago, recognized the incredible talent, the constants of movement in African-Americans. And he formed the Alvin Ailey, Ailey uh, Dance Troupe, Dance Theatre. And I just go to them every year. They are just so stunningly beautiful. And when we think of dance, there's been some interesting discussions today on dispositions. Sure, it's not going to be easy. It does require us to have the dispositions of dancers, the stamina and strength of creativity, the teamwork, the persistence, the shameless courage. I love it. Go forth. Shameless courage. The ability, the improvisational skills, the ability to get out of your own way sometimes, the passion, the confidence. It's about being stubborn, holding your head high. It's about fearlessly going against the grain. It's about telling a compelling story. It's about being, doing, and becoming. And so I finish where I finished last time. The future is ours to create. And my personal mantra, be, do, become, because you can. Believe in yourselves, you can. Thank you very much.